Good afternoon. Welcome to the Blue Jays post game show. I'm Blake Murphy, joined by my good pal Andrew Zuber. Andrew, how are you, buddy? Let this be right out. Yeah, man. that's funky. I like that riff. I'm. It's my distinct honor to be here. What a pleasure. What a ball game. Yeah, what a ball game. The Toronto Blue Jays beat the New York Yankees ten to nine at Steinbrenner Field down in Florida. Alec Manoa with the start. Nate Pearson getting the win. Andrew Vasquez picking up a save, even though the ninth wasn't all that clean. Long one today. Absolutely. You know, you come in. It's nice to come in. We're coming in looking for storylines, and spring can sometimes, sometimes you're like, ah, there's nothing really going on. We got all the storylines we could possibly need here. Left-handed bats, the bench situation, Greg Bird, Kevin Biggio, as, as Joe just said, Josh Palacios, tons to talk about. I'm very excited. I'm excited as well, Andrew. Uh, again, Blake Murphy, Andrew Zuber, Blue Jays post game. You can text us at 590-590. Let us know your takes. Fire some Jays questions our way. You can also call in 416-870-0590, 1-888-666-0590, or star 590 on your mobile device. Again, the Blue Jays 10, New York Yankees 9. I don't know what the big story is from this one. I know it could be Alec Manoa. Manoa gets to throw 49 pitches. Gets through three and a third, two hits, two walks, three Ks. Uh, pretty standard Manoa outing. Uh, slipped a little bit on the mound on his first pitch and gave us a, a little bit of a worry. Um, only threw 28 of his 49 pitches for strikes. So not the the most elite control game from Manoa. Uh, what do you like from the big guy, though? I liked I liked some of the movement on the sinker. He used the, the change up as a put away pitch as well in this game. I thought he was... The standard Alec Manoa, we talked, I heard talking in the pregame show with show about he's not your typical six foot six, 260 pound guy. You look at a guy like that with the makeup and you think he's going to throw absolute smoke. I think he's a guy that, that relies on that down in the zone, that movement, everything going down. And I thought pitching to his strengths, very much uh, the guy that we expected him to be. And, and somebody that doesn't seem to ever, not that you would ever get rattled by spring training <laughs> baseball, but no problems with the 50 pitches uh, in, in and out of some trouble Never really looked like he was sweating too much. Florida man at home in Florida. I uh, I continue to be completely unworried, I think, is sort of the mood that I get when Manoa's out there. You feel his warm and the, the giant warm embrace that he has you yeah. in when he's on the mound. Sort of a akin, I think, a little bit, and not stylistically, but just sort of that feeling of comfort that you get when Ryu is out there, when he's very much uh, in control. You very much know he's not going to get rattled no matter what is going on. So... Uh, a continuation of that feeling from Alec Manoa, which is really all I ask from a pitcher is to not scare me. And he does that and then some. And I think he carries that with him on the mound, right? I, again, it's just a spring game, but he seems very unbothered. You're going through that top of the Yankees order that includes Aaron Judge, Josh Donaldson, Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Stanton as the top four. Uh, pretty pretty embarrassing amount of riches when you have DJ LeMahieu in the in the five hole instead of setting the table. So to go through that order, and he went through as far as Gallo a second time, uh, very unbothered, and, and that's kind of what Manoa is. Andrew, I haven't stood in against a 94-mile-an-hour sinker or two-seam fastball in my life. I would imagine that a pitch like that coming in at your hands from a guy who's 6'6", I'd imagine that feels a lot different than a, than a two seamer or anything with, with downward movement. Uh, if you're getting it from a lower arm angle. Yeah. And you certainly see guys get tied up with that. You saw some of the, the put away strikeout was underneath the hands and, and he really does pair that up nicely. You saw, I don't know. I'm sure you follow him on Instagram, all the big meals. <laughs> you got to have the big meals. He was also his, his Instagram. This this off season was very much focused on tunneling those pitches and, and that slider, 
going one way and the change up in the two seam going the other way and, and really making sure that that I mean, tunneling, for lack of a better word, everything is sort of coming out of the same spot and not really knowing that, as you said, that 93, that 92, getting on top of you really quickly and really feeling that pressure, I think is a, is a huge tool set for him and, and something that really is how he gets by his bread and butter. Yeah, it was the three big things from the offseason from Manoa. Number one was being at every Miami Heat home game. (laughs) I don't know that it's a coincidence that the Heat have fallen off a cliff since Alec Manoa moved it to Dunedin. I don't know. Correlation causation situation. Exactly. Uh, Number two is the big meals, as you said. And then three, the the tunneling. And and, um, for those who don't know what the tunneling term means, if you you imagine Manoa throwing a ball and he's using a couple different pitches, the goal there is for the arm action to be the same as long as possible because it gives the batter a shorter amount of time to pick up what pitch it is and make that swing hold off decision. Um, And that looked that. I mean, it's five and a, five and a third inning through two starts, but it looks like it's in in pretty good progress here. Um, five Ks over the five and a third inning so far. Manoa was followed in the game by Ryan Barucki, Nate Pearson, Jeremy Beasley, Adrian Hernandez, and Andrew Vasquez. Mixed bag from the bullpen. We'll say uh, let's start with Barucki because Barucki's in an interesting roster spot. Him and Vasquez both throwing in this game. I, I think when you look at the lefties in the bullpen. Tim Mesa's probably got his spot locked down. I don't know if they keep two or three lefties, certainly two, uh, in which case Barucki maybe has the inside edge as a guy who's out of options and might get claimed if he were to be uh, DFA'd. Vasquez, though, has a major league contract with options. Yep. Vasquez gives up a home run here in his ninth inning, but Barucki gives up a home run too and then gives up two loud outs. Worried at all? Again, small samples is all we're dealing with here, so it's all we have to go off of, but it's been a little underwhelming from Barucki and Vasquez so far. Yeah, it's a little bit. I think this is going to mirror a conversation we're going to have about the bench where there's sort of, I sort of feel two ways about this. One way is I know that the the ALCS lineup doesn't need to be set in March, right? You can, uh, you, you can sort of not have your team feel complete here at the end of spring training, but you are going to want to, I think, upgrade that left-handed bullpen spot anyway. We Meza had a great year last year. He was very good. But you, you, beyond that, you're not looking at a really reliable left-handed guy. And out of the out of the gate, when they have the option to carry 14 pitchers, I think Barucki's going to hitch a ride to Toronto in that. But yeah, the, the, the confidence, I mean, what really is he? He's a guy that we're talking about over the, since 2019. The sample size of innings is under 50. Uh, he obviously showed up in 2020, all of a sudden he threw 97. And it was like, that's a nice, fun surprise. But it didn't translate... Uh, into a ton of success in 2021. And he has a guy, again, since basically moving to the bullpen, uh, hasn't had an opportunity to, to really have a sustained run of health. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's one of the big question marks. There aren't, luckily, the, the major pieces are in place, but stuff like the extended bullpen, you you're start counting out bullpen names, you get to eight, nine guys before you're mentioning Ryan Barucki, which is both a good problem and you don't also have that top headline guy that you're relying on against your lefties. So he is in an interesting spot, as you said, out of options, probably going to get the trip and get some rope, uh, the opportunity to prove himself. But yeah, it's an interesting journey. And I, I think he has some proving to do. This is a opportunity to prove ourselves as well. Our first time doing the Blue Jays post game together, uh, Blake Murphy and Andrew Zuber. And we're, we're about to make history here, Andrew. We have our first caller. <laughs> yes, it's, I love this. It's Jonah from Toronto. Oh, boy. <laughs> Gentlemen, I want to say first time, long time, uh, obviously <laughs> uh, a, a small sample size uh, with respect to your chemistry, but so far the early returns are 
absolutely exceptional. Uh, I expected nothing less. And, and my, my question slash concern pertains to a guy you were just uh, mentioning, uh, pontificating about in Ryan Baraki, which is that, you know, we saw him got absolutely, he got absolutely obliterated by Giancarlo Stanton today, continuing a theme for him since he converted into a full-time reliever, which is his complete inability to neutralize right-handed hitters uh, since he moved into that sort of full-time relief role righties have been hitting him to the tune of like a 900 OPS and he doesn't really seem to have the weapons right now to get out opposite handed hitters. So I guess my question is where do you see the utility in a guy like that, given the three batter minimum, given that, you know, we have to face at least three guys, uh, opposing managers are going to be pinch hitting for, for left-handed batters to get in a right-handed hitter against Baraki uh, exploiting that weakness. So I guess my question is sort of where do you see the utility in a guy like Ryan Baraki? That's Jonah from Toronto with a great question there. Uh, I think he already knows the answer to his own question. I think he knows where he's going with that. <laughs> Jonah wouldn't do that. Uh, he wouldn't call in and already have an answer he's trying to get across. I'll tell you one place the utility isn't for Ryan Barucki, and it's against the top of the Yankees lineup. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe this is a couple times now in his career that Giancarlo Stanton has rocked him. Uh, but Jonah's right. The, the splits are not super encouraging. He has done a great job in his career, limiting lefties, a a weighted on base average of 262 uh, when he's facing lefties, which is really good. And that's over almost a 200 plate appearance sample. Uh, And then that jumps almost a hundred points against righties. So you have to be careful here. And this is actually, it's a, it's an interesting way to, to kind of contrast with, with the, what they're dealing with on the position player side, because, you know, obviously with a hitter, you don't take a worse lefty over a good righty, just because of that balance. But when you start to think about what is a late game decision-making look like for an opposing manager and you're Charlie Montoyo and you want to force uh, an opposing manager into tough decisions while well, dropping a, a lefty in the middle of the order, where if you want to neutralize that lefty, you've got to let that lefty pitch to some of your big bat righties. And right now I don't think you could do that with Ryan Barucki. I think you'd, you know, he'd be a, a bottom half of the order, lower leverage kind of guy. And maybe you hope it plays up, but I'm not sure what it is in his profile, especially if he, he continues to, to walk guys at a pretty high rate. Um, I don't know what it is that lends confidence. He can start to get righties out. It's an easily upgradable, not easily upgradable, but it's one of the first upgradable slots. And to b- borrow some terminology from other sports, somebody that I think you alluded to there, you're going to want to use him in sheltered minutes until right. he until he's mowing guys down to a point where you feel a little more confidence. I haven't seen that confidence basically since 2020 when he was showed up. Oh, I thought it was 97. Life is good. <laughs> I, I think he's somebody that you're going to want to shelter and, and get that confidence back up. But you're also, I, having said that, I also have the other mind of you're either a big leaguer or, or you're not. Right. We can either use you or we can't. And if you're we have to make all these concessions that we can't use him in this spot or in this spot, eventually, you know, where this team is going. And I think the leaps that they're making and some of the conversations that we're hearing about the bench and some of the conversations we're hearing about lefties or, you know, the, the third base answer they got answered so so thoroughly is you're gonna you wanna go from definite answers to situations. And he's somebody that you're going to quickly run out of guys that you're asking questions about. And you're gonna want some more definite answers. So I think that's a spot where it's tenuous. It's tenuous. He's gonna have to earn and prove that he remains uh, as part of the bullpen. Another thing I look at too sometimes with with guys with the extreme splits is okay, can you can you change your pitch mix? Can you cut a pitch against one side hitter, uh, one side of the plate and, and maybe, you know, focus on two pitches against righties, two pitches against lefties. Brucky kind of already does that against lefties. He really only throws that sinking fastball and a slider against lefties. And the most troubling thing for me is that 
that fastball, which does have some some good sink on it and can get up into the higher 90s, that's what gets tattooed by righties. And I don't know, you know, you're certainly not going to a slider changeup mix pretty exclusively. And, so. and his changeup has not had a lot of luck either. Um, right-handed hitters slugged 571 off of it last year per baseball savant. So um, I don't know what the, what the tweak is there. If, if it's your fastball and your changeup that you can't get over, <laughs> you can't just groove sliders unless you're Andrew Vasquez, I guess, uh, which takes us back to him. Uh, we really haven't seen a lot of Vasquez yet. I do think it's an interesting kind of philosophical where Brucky has the velocity and Vasquez has this potentially wipeout slider, but he just can't locate things. Um, this was a win though. So let's let's round out the talk of the pitching with a positive. Nate Pearson's first inning, 10 pitches, pretty clean. A little help from Matt Chapman at third. He does give up a three-run home run to Joey Gallo, but it was after two tougher defensive plays behind him. Uh, you know, you had the almost collision in left center field and then one that went uh, to the left side of the infield and didn't get handled as well as it could have. So maybe you don't hang too much of that on him, but I thought at least the first inning was a good look at... Uh, efficient and, and try to mow through guys, Nate Pearson. Yeah. I think at his best, the Nate Pearson inning is you're sort of, you blink and you go, that was quick. That's sort of exactly what you're looking for from Nate Pearson. You're looking for that absolutely drilling through guys. He wasn't popping the radar gun like he normally does uh, to the extremes. He, he hit 97 and sort of the, the lower end stuff was sort of in a lower category than he usually uh, pops out to. But I thought, yeah, to, to your point, the, exactly what you're looking for from Pearson, clean, efficient, um, getting reasonable contact. We're not going to worry about balls hit the left side of the infield during the season. That's not going to be, not going to be an issue. We're going to, we're going to wave that away. Spring training, the pros get, the pros get set aside. I think that's going to be uh, washed away, but no, absolutely. Pearson is somebody that, you know, I think you hear talked about a lot. He's a really interesting guy for this team this year. Somebody that it's easy to sit here and do the, okay, you move Kirk and you move Pearson for, uh, Jose Ramirez. And that's easy. It's very easy to come on and do that. And I am historically a trade your prospects guy, but boy, there's a, a lot of situations where Nate Pearson is extremely important to this team this year in terms of giving you two or three innings in stretch, giving you a, especially when you get to playoff time, the way that bullpens get used there, where you need to have a guy every other day that comes out and is a problem and has teams thinking, how are we going to solve this guy when he comes in and takes us from the fifth to the seventh? And then all of a sudden now it's Romano. And now, now the game is over. I think he's someone that really does have utility in a competitive team. And that is the difference now is you, you have a team that's trying to win now. And he is a piece that can help you win. Now, if he was, a year or two years further back from where he is, I think it's a little easier to pull that trigger. I think now if you move him, you're going to have to replace him with sort of a stretch power arm. that They don't really have a lot of in that bullpen or really in the rotation. Yeah. And you could use Ross Stripling as that kind of swing man or long man as needed, but let's be honest that they play 30 times in the first 31 days of the season. They have a, a kind of, abbreviated spring training here to get guys ready. And they have two starters in Ryu and Kikuchi who we know probably aren't good bets for 180 plus innings. Maybe they start the season with a six man rotation or they're leaning on long men a little more often. Um, we have a couple of questions in the text line. Keep those coming to 590-590. You can also call in 416-870-0590-188-666-0590 or star 590 on your mobile device. We're gonna take a little break. We'll come back with more of the Blue Jays postgame show uh, comments from pitching coach Pete Walker as well. We've got a few questions in the text line about that. Uh, that's next on the Blue Jays postgame show. Looks at first, kicks to the plate. 
And a pitch pulled down to first. Bird's got it on top of the back. Sets up, throws down to second. The tag applied. They got him to finish the ball game. The Blue Jays needed something on the ground, and they got it. Brantley tapped it to Bird, who ran over to first base. That took away the force, so Jimenez was ready to lay down the tag. He laid it on the legs of the sliding Peraza to cap off the win for the Blue Jays, who hold on for a 10-9 marathon victory this afternoon in Tampa. So Toronto Blue Jays post-game show, Blake Murphy, Andrew Zuber. Give my guy a follow at the underscore Zubes. Oh, wow. Yeah, your boy, the Zubes. Uh, that's a great call to end the game from our pal Ben Wagner. It's also a great way to end a 10-9 game that was really not long on good defensive plays that didn't belong to Matt Chapman. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So for it to end on, on that kind of thing. Also, Greg Bird, the most popular guy in Toronto today, and it's not just the dimples. <laughs> yeah. A lot of questions. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Uh, a lot of questions in the text line about Greg Bird and his potential role here. You can keep those texts coming at 590-590. Give us a call for 416-870-0590. Uh, lots, uh, a handful of questions in the text line about Blue Jays pitching coach Pete Walker as well. Uh, we do have a audio, an audio clip here of Pete Walker speaking to the media after the Toronto Blue Jays game today. Uh, reports came out this morning that he was involved in a, uh, a traffic, incident, traffic incident as he framed it uh, in Florida, um, driving well over the speed limit while intoxicated. Um this is Pete Walker addressing that DUI charge post game in Tampa. There was a uh, traffic incident on Thursday night that I was involved in. Obviously, I'm very apologetic uh, to the Blue Jay organization, Blue Jay fans, and uh, my family. So, um, but it's something that uh, you know, I'm working through with my attorney and uh, to get resolution to this right now. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, my apologies to my three daughters. That's right now we're working through that with my attorney uh, for a resolution of this. That's really That was Toronto Blue Jays pitching coach Pete Walker speaking to the media about uh, reported uh, DUI charge that uh, from, audio, from last night. Audio coming to you from inside a washing machine. Yeah, so. apparently. Um, the Toronto Blue Jays also uh, issued a statement saying they're they're waiting for more information. Uh, and out of respect for the legal process. There will be no further comment at this time. Charlie Montoyo did say that uh, Pete Walker will remain in his role with the team as information is gathered, and they figure that out. So um, that's a story to to keep an eye on. Obviously uh, a disappointing one to keep an eye on. Uh, We'll pivot here back to the game. The Toronto Blue Jays beat the New York Yankees 10-9. Nate Pearson with the win. Alec Manoa starting, but of course not not getting the... uh, the five innings necessary to get that W. <laughs> Andrew Vasquez picks up a save, giving up one run in the ninth, and the Jays improved to five and three. That mm-hmm. 10 runs came with a lot of power from the left side of the plate. That's not something the Toronto Blue Jays are supposed to do well. Again, all, all spring caveats, all, you know, Michael King on the mound for, for the New York Yankees, but Josh Palacios, Kevin Biggio, and Greg Bird, all homer from the left side, you liking what you're seeing there, Andrew? I like I like what I see from Greg Bird, and and the text line obviously agrees with me. Uh, I, I think Palacios is a surprising one for me, as somebody that I haven't been able to get a ton of a read on because he's not a prospect. He's a prospect in the in the way that he's not a major leaguer. The stat cast king of spring training for a second spring in a row, just putting out these eye popping exit velocity numbers. I know he didn't he didn't do much with his 
short major league opportunities last year, but he can, he can find his way into one. I'm talking to a Palacios believer is the vibe that I'm getting right now. I, if we're talking about as the 26th man, <laughs> absolutely. A guy who can play a little bit of outfield uh, hit from the left side and, you know, walk into the odd mistake pitch. Yeah. I don't mind it. Uh, yeah. they, it seems like they've already upgraded his role, flipping uh Colorado Rockies legend, Blake Grichuk as he was <laughs> yeah. posted in their, uh, in their spring training broadcast today. Uh, thank you to the Rockies for confusing me with, with that handsome man. Not bad, not bad at all. Um, but Rymel Tapia, who we expect to see make his first appearance for the Blue Jays tomorrow, uh, ostensibly that lefty outfield bat off the bench, uh, pinch runner, basically what we thought would have been the Palacios role had they not addressed something like that. Um, Palacios kind of in first guy up from the minors territory at this point, but things get a little more interesting with Greg Bird. We've, we've got a bunch of texts about it. So let's start. Um, I'll start here for you. We'll, we'll go to the region. Our guy Tobias from Waterloo. He asks, Andrew, Bird is the word. I don't see why they don't bring him on opening day for a power lefty bat off the bench. We also have Leo in Toronto asking if Greg Bird will wear a Blue Jays cap on his Cooperstown plaque. Uh, I think obviously the Yankees cut bait. You got to prove sure. it. And he already looks like carved out of stone. Yeah. So I think the, the plaque will be easy next step for him. And and I just want to say Tobias from Waterloo. Uh, thank you for texting him. We are not saying that you get preferential treatment. If you have a five, one nine number in the text line, but if it happens to be hop up, up for me, he is a, he's a, I don't, don't want to give away, but we're a five, one nine to text in. They would get that. Uh, maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, you know, I mean, he's not a five, one nine. He just happened to be to from plug the region. Yeah. So got on the air and look at him. Look at us now. So we're going to have 28 man rosters instead of 26 man rosters for at least the first month of the season. That That's probably it. But I think that's a reasonable concession uh, for MLB to make, given how abbreviated this spring is and the pitchers may not be stretched out and things like that. I think it has more of an impact on how I'd build out a pitching staff for sure. But at the margins, it probably does two things. And we saw both of them kind of highlighted today. The first is. They probably carry three catchers. Ben Wagner said on the broadcast that that that's the feeling internally right now is that they'll carry three catchers. We saw Reese McGuire DH today while Alejandro Kirk took the duties behind the plate. Uh, Kirk went one for four with an RBI. Uh, Reese McGuire finally getting on the board for spring training, going two for five to prove to two for 16 on the spring so far. Um, So that's one way. The other way is. If you thought there might be a roster crunch as they look to carry an extra bullpen arm or something, I I mentioned 30 games in 31 days. Maybe they don't need to do that. And maybe you can use one of those spots on an extra bench bat. It sure looks like they're giving Greg bird every chance to run with that spot. Yeah. And and, you know, the expanded rosters one way, even with 26, even with 25, I think Greg bird is making this team. The, the, as good as the lineup is, and the lineup is very good. I'm not saying the lineup isn't very good. The bench gets short real quick. You have, you probably have 10 guys. You don't like a bench full of pinch runners and back catchers. You got to have, I know people hate when I say back catchers, but it's just, it's an easier transition phrase sometimes (laughs) than catchers. (laughs) We are getting five, one, nine in here. Uh, I think birds making this team, no matter how many bench slots they had available, the area is not forget lefty power. There's no righty power on the bench. There's no power on the bench period. Mm -hmm. And depending on how you view Kirk, who I think I view at this point as your everyday DH going forward, I, I think bird has, has, and listen, I think your gauge on his spring numbers about as valuable as your gauge on his triple a numbers last year <laughs> playing in Colorado, which is to say very good. 
Very good. He was a very good hitter last year in AAA, 27 home runs, uh, 117 WRC+. plus. He was a very useful AAA player. How many good AAA players have we had cycle through the Jays recently that ended up being below average hitters? Be that as it may, he certainly has a role. He certainly has a space, uh, even as a backup first baseman, I'll say. Yeah, you're going to need someone to play there. And I know that they have guys who have played there before, and it's you know, in theory, the easiest position on the diamond to fill in. Uh, I don't know if, if you want to move Kevin Biggio around a lot, if he ends up, you know, wrestling the lion's share of that second base duty from the Espinal split. I don't know that you, I, I just don't know that you want to be juggling that many things day to day when you're already dealing with a center fielder who you're probably going to get a lot of time off a catcher. Who's probably going to take a lot of the DA traps. And you're right. There are a lot of guys like this, right. That, that have cycled through last year. You know, there's Corey Dickerson. There's Jake lamb for a little bit. Uh, Rowdy Telez before he got dealt these, <laughs> these guys come and go, but it doesn't take a lot for someone like that to stick. One of the most interesting things I find about Greg bird, you mentioned his triple a season last year, his splits kind of normalize you. You think, hey, this is a low OBP left-handed power bat. Well, what do you almost always assume with that? He can't hit lefties. For sure. And he'll mash righties. And in his major league sample, he's actually been a reverse splits guy. But then last year, he kind of in AAA, he kind of stopped hitting lefties and started mashing righties. I don't really know what to make with that, I was not watching a lot of triple uh, a Greg bird <laughs> no. plate appearances, but it's something that I, I'm curious to see as we get a little bit more uh, data on him here, especially in terms of the stack cast stuff. If he's hitting, if he's mashing righties and if he's capable against lefties. Um, so you, you like him to make the team. Obviously that would mean Palacios doesn't probably since they have uh, Tapia as well. Uh, Espinal and the catchers being the, the other bench pieces. Biggio hits a home run today. As a rookie, Biggio hit double-digit home runs. That, in part, allowed his OBP to be pretty robust. And, you know, it, you you can draw walks without being a power threat, but it certainly doesn't hurt oh, if, yeah. if you yeah. can threaten uh, a pitcher as well. So what do you see as Biggio's role this year? Are you Are you eager to give him the second-base job and see if he can run with it in kind of an everyday bottom-of-the-order role? Uh, yeah, listen, you don't have to go back that far to ha to see Kevin Biggio as a useful player. Maybe the maybe the ceiling of being lumped in with the other second generation sensations is not an accurate portrayal of who he is. But can he be an everyday second baseman, play it at an average to decently good level and then contribute at the bottom of the lineup with with some tough at bats and some ambush power? Absolutely. It's not a huge stretch for me to look at this and say he can be a two win guy. If you want to go to win parlance, he can be a useful piece of this team. He doesn't have to be as he was in 2019 uh, or to even 2020. You know, the guy that's carrying the top part of the lineup, a guy that is a table setter. He's a guy that, you know, a pitcher who has just gone through and just sweated through those first six, seven guys needs a just wants a break and he gets down and he has Jano with some of the ambush power. And then he has Biggio who's going to make life difficult for him at least with a selective eye and make him throw strikes. I think there's value in that. Do I think I am handing him the second base job out of camp? Probably not, but I, you got to give him even odds as you give Espinal to, to win that job. If you're not going to go out before the season starts, which I don't think they are and really go over the top to upgrade that, to go and get a, a Jose Ramirez to go get a four or five, win guy that is going to push you to that upper stratosphere. I think you can do a lot worse. And I think, you know, luckily in his short time here, we've seen, I think the ceiling and the floor from BGO. We saw 
the guy that comes in and, and sort of was the captain of the young guys when he first showed up and that leadership skill they talked about and that ability to be a stabilizing force in the lineup and be a stabilizing second baseman. And we also saw last year, which was pretty close to uh, worst case scenario, disaster, <laughs> neck, back, uh, the lack of, you know, the, the, the discipline at the plate was sort of challenged with, okay, we're not going to walk you because we're just going to throw you, we're just going to throw you heat and make you hit it. I think is sort of what, where that plate discipline gets tested eventually is you have to give them a reason to pitch around you. If you're going to be drawing walks. One other note on the the bottom of the order and left-handed bats who could, Hey, end up in that 26 man role at some point during the season. There's always a lot of churn in those spots as guys get injured or, or underperform or need more development time. Uh, Malik Smith and Nathan Lucas split the center field duties and the nine hole. Uh, Lucas gets a hit. Malik Smith brings the vibes, of course. Yes, he does. Uh, but and the I, pants. I would, and the pants. Would I? Yeah, the the very baggy pants. The the anti Cato <laughs> pants. Um, would I be right to assume that you you see those guys as minor league depth right now, and they're they're no longer with the Tapia addition and Palacios seemingly ahead of them? Those guys are out of the out of the mix right now. I think I think I think Tapia sort of knocks Smith out of there. Smith doesn't really do anything that much better than Tapia to take him out of the lineup. I guess play center field at a, at a slightly above the level clip. But even then it was not, it's not like gold glove. And Charlie Montoya was speaking today. And again, we're going to see Tapia tomorrow. Um, I think Montoya was talking today that, that Tapia will get the center field starts when Springer sits. Now he's an interesting guy to try to project into that role because he played primarily left field in Colorado. He was a plus left fielder, but the arm's not great. And Colorado never really made the decision to put him in center, which to me is a bit of a red flag. You're juggling guys like Garrett Hampson, pulling him from the infield (laughs) to go play center field. Uh, You use three or four different center fielders and he doesn't get a crack there. Um, So I'm curious to see what that looks like. We, we of course have the game uh, tomorrow on the Sportsnet radio network. It's Jay's Phillies in Dunedin at one Oh seven. Ben Wagner will have that show. Ali will have pregame for you and Blair and Barker will be coming in post game. Um, What are you looking for? From Tapia, because he's a guy that, you know, the the basic batting stats alone don't do a lot for you. And we haven't seen him play a lot of center field, but he's probably the guy, you know, short of Gabriel Moreno getting into some of these games. Tapia is now the most interesting guy the rest of spring to me. Absolutely, absolutely. It's him and Orelvis, who has been who has been an absolute joy yeah, to watch. I can't believe we haven't even got to him. He had another tremendous plate appearance today. We could be on here all day, and yeah. we could just be picking out guys. But no, Tapia is interesting. He's an interesting dude because you know you hear people that are talking about things that how baseball has changed and things that are are exiting baseball. And one of the things is a classic bat to ball contact guy who intentionally puts the ball on the ground the other way and tries to beat those things out. Listen, the 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 you know, the launch angle stats, the exit <laughs> velocity, never going to be a superstar in that way. But there, he's, he's a completely different look of a player. I think when you look at the skill set that, that Gritchick brought, which was a lot of swing and miss, righty power, uh, you can strip away the numbers and just say swing and miss, righty power guy, and you have to guess which Blue Jay you're talking about. There's a <laughs> lot of those guys. There is very little bat control, uh, you know, speed, uh, and, and somebody who's going to take away hits in the outfield, I think, Something that Grichik did was sort of the house was never on fire behind him. It was things stayed in front of him that had to stay in front of him. The arm would keep guys at bay, but rarely stealing outs out there. And that's where you're going to see hopefully a little bit of value from Tapia along with the speed is, is that ability to go and get things, make four and five star catches out there in left field. Uh, I think it should play in center, but I say that similar to you having not exactly exhausted myself 
with uh, Colorado Rockies center field reps. And and it's only a few reps. So again, your Toronto Blue Jays win today, 10-9 against the Yankees. They improved to 5-3 and three in spring training. Alec Manoa with three and a third shutout innings with three Ks. Nate Pearson gets the win. Uh, Biggio, Bird, and Palacios all going yard. And we didn't even fit in all the Arelvis Martinez love that we'd have for that two-run double. He worked a great six-pitch at bat for um, that to come, though. We're going to see Tapia tomorrow. Hopefully, we, we get to see a little more Elvis Martinez as well. Our next broadcast on the Sportsnet Radio Network tomorrow, Jays Phillies in Dunedin, 107 with Ben Wagner. My pal Show Ali will have you pregame, and Blair and Barker will be postgame. We've been Blake Murphy and Andrew Zuber for the Blue Jays postgame show. Have a great Saturday.